Welcome to the Career Up Now Socially Distanced Close-Ups Israel Edition. I'm your host, Sophia Felsen, and today we are joined by Joe Perlov. He's the founder and former CEO of Israel Experts, which was the first immersive travel company in Israel, and is the current founder, CEO of Regarding Israel, which provides tailor-made Israel trips to Israel. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Good to see you. So I saw on your website that you consider yourself a, to be a former kibbutznik. Can you mm. talk a little bit about what that means? When I say kibbutznik, it was really uh, because my partner in Guarding Israel is a fellow named Rabbi Shimon Felix, who is an Orthodox rabbi. And we wanted to purposely put out there that there's a multitude of opinions and directions in Israel today. You know, they say 9 million Israelis, 18 million political opinions. And former kibbutznik kind of immediately puts me in a place where I am perceived in a certain way, you know, kind of lefty, uh, liberal, progressive. And that's, um, that's the image that, uh, you know, that I like to think I portray. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the world I come from. Kibbutznik, you know, kibbutz was a big part of my life. And I, I spent 20 years on kibbutz. I was married on kibbutz. My children were born on kibbutz. And I thought kibbutz was the be all and end all for the rest of my life. So I still call myself a former kibbutznik, even though I'm 20 years out of kibbutz. That's amazing. So you grew up in Philadelphia. How did you become so passionate about Israel? Well, I grew up in Philadelphia in the 60s, and in the 60s, everybody was passionate about everything. Passionate about rock and roll music, we were passionate about Habonim, which was the youth movement to which I affiliated, and that's really the answer to your question. What got me excited about Israel and what made me passionate about Israel really was my growing up in a labor Zionist youth movement called Habonim, which kind of leaned towards a socialist approach to Israel today. Uh, back in the 60s and 70s, and I indeed ended up making Aliyah at a very young age of 15, much a result of my longing to that movement. The, the shaliach, the representative, the emissary from Israel, immediately caught my attention, and when I saw his passion for Israel and his love of, of everything about Israel and his critical thinking about Israel, I said, I want to be like him. And that was that was how I made my decision to really end up on a kibbutz in Israel at the age of 15. Did you go with your family or alone? No, my family came several years later, but I made Aliyah myself. Uh, my sister, my older sister, who's eight years my senior, who was also a passionate Zionist, she was involved in Habonim and I became involved in Habonim and she made Aliyah in 66. So in 1970, I thought, I'm not waiting till university, I'm going now. <laughs> and, you know, in, in 1969, 1970, the world was a different place, and young people perhaps took a little more charge of their lives. And certainly in 1969, 70, it was a time to take charge. Were your parents supportive of you going at 15? They were, because my parents were also big, very, very Zionist-thinking uh, people, labor Zionists. They made Aliyah to Israel uh, when I was in the army in 1973, and they remained here. Uh, they lived out their lives in Israel, and they were thrilled to, at the age of 65, 70, to make that move to Israel. And uh, yeah, they brought me up to love Israel, and they themselves were great lovers of Israel. It's understandable why you created companies surrounding trips to Israel, because you left at 15 years old. So you're the founder and CEO, or were the founder and CEO of Israel Experts. How did you come to start this travel company that brought tens of thousands of adults to Israel? You know, it's an it's interesting you ask the question, it's, and it's it's a, it's a great question. The truth of the matter is, is I um, like many other things in life in general, it was all about chance. You know, I wanted to be a peanut farmer. 
my intention was to grow peanuts on the kibbutz and and I worked in peanut fields and I studied how to grow peanuts and I worked on a combine on the, on the kibbutz after the army and I was sure I was going to be a farmer forever. And somehow, by some chance, I met somebody who was looking for a shaliach, an emissary from Israel to bring to Washington, D.C. to an organization called BBYO. And he interviewed me and I was with a, my wife, Sarah, and my baby daughter, Michal, who's now 40 years old and a family of her own here in Israel. And we said, let's give it a try. So we went to Washington, D.C. for two years. And that's when I really uh, became passionate about, as passionate about Jewish education as I was about peanuts. I was actually, um, when you were mentioning your youth group, I was a part of BBYO in high school. Yeah, so I'm very familiar. I worked a lot with uh, BBYO in the States, and I still, you know, I, to this day, I'm still involved with BBYO. I was the, I later on went back and became the assistant international director for Europe and uh, Israel. And I opened up, we opened up, we, I mean, I say I, it's, it's a royal I, we really spoke, uh, it was really we. And we opened up a uh, youth organization, BBYO, in Bulgaria and Hungary and Estonia, and I was instrumental in pay, taking part in that. It was a great honor, great privilege, a great privilege to open up BBYO in Europe. They're really all over the world. It's quite yeah. remarkable. Really, yeah. With the pandemic, what is regarding Israel's approach and really what are the possibilities for regarding Israel in terms of the pandemic? Yeah, well, look, like everything else, things will get better. It's taking, unfortunately, more time than we had thought. You know, who would have believed in March, a year ago, almost 10 months ago, that we would still be in the middle of this in December? So my industry, the industry of, of tourism, and particularly my industry, which is educational tourism, really suffers more than any other industry. In other words, everything is closed. You know, we lost all work and all of the groups, which were, you know, 20, 25 universities a year I was doing, they're all gone. You know, it all dissipated, but it will come back. I'm pretty sure. I'm certainly hoping so. And, you know, it's it's terribly, it's really up impacted everything we do. It's imp impacted all of the staff and all of the guides and all of the madrichim. And so it's, it's been a real, however, there is what to do now in terms of preparing the groundwork for post-corona tourism, because tourism will come back and it will be different like everything else in the world. And I think that the challenge is how to maintain or how to create programming which will respond to the need for qualitative change. In other words, not just making a change, but making a change for the better. We have to, you know, so we're, that's what I'm doing now. I just today came back from the Negev. I was just in the Negev. That's why I kind of ran back to my office to make this call. But I was down in the Negev today meeting with Israeli Muslim black women who I'm trying to develop new programs with in terms of bringing tourists to engage with people of color who live in Israel and who are not Ethiopian Jews, but are also very much in the center of the Israeli narrative. And I find that American uh, young people are very interested in that whole world of Israeli Muslims. And I spent the day there today. I was just fascinated with what I learned. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That seems to be the focus for... <laughs> America right now is just to learn about people who are different from us. And also there are many perspectives in Israel. And I think a lot of Israel trips focus on the Israeli Zionist perspective. So, but Israel is made up of, you know, tons of different kinds of people. So it's important to get a well-rounded, diverse and inclusive kind of view. So I think what you're doing is really, really great. Sophia, I want to come work for you. That's exactly, the, I love it. I love it. That's exactly the right vision, I think, today for tourism in Israel. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, critical thinking and 
allowing people to engage with narratives that they until now perhaps have not been aware of. You know, I today with a black woman in Beersheba who's a Muslim, a very religious Muslim woman, uh, and her husband, we were talking in her living room uh, and uh, she was talking to me about uh, uh, issues that Muhammad dealt with, the prophet Muhammad, mm. and it relates to Moses and Abraham in terms of the Islamic experience. So I said to her, I said, listen, I'm 65 years old. I've learned more today after living here in Israel for 50 years than I ever perceived possible. And that's what it's all about. It's about tourism in Israel is really a, an incentive, not an incentive, an, an encouragement to people to become familiar with other narratives and to understand that, you know, like Steven Spielberg said in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, we are not alone. You know, this is not an entirely white Jewish Ashkenazi country. Uh, there are a lot of other people here who, who are part of the narrative of Israel. And that's what we love about Israel. You know, the narrative, there's nowhere, I think that there's very few places in the world where a person can learn about Islam as they can in Israel. You know, Israel offers right. amazing, amazing Islamic experiences and to understand what they're thinking and what we're thinking and how we can think together. So um, that's the one good thing, by the way, that's come out of Corona. The one good thing out of Corona, which I tell people all the time, is that the Israeli Arab voices are much more in the forefront today than they were nine months ago. Something's happened in Israel, which has to do with all sorts of things like medicine, and we're all in this together. And Israeli Arabs are able to speak out much more freely today than ever before. I've been here for 50 years. This is the first time when every night on the news, we have Israeli Muslims who are speaking about issues which are not about the Arab-Israeli conflict, but are about how we deal with Corona how we deal with women's issues, how we deal with chauvinistic politicians, which we have plenty of. You know, these are, these are, 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 are good things that are happening in terms of the, the dialogue and the deliberation between Israeli citizens. By the way, I would say the same thing about Israeli Haredim, ultra-religious. We Israeli secular, quote-unquote, Jews, look at the ultra-religious Haredi community much with the same fears and, and lack of understanding that we do to the Israeli Arab community. And remember, the Israeli Arab community and the Israeli Haredi community together make up 40% of the population of this country. Wow. So we, have of, we have a lot of challenges. This is such a great segue for the next question, which is, is what we're talking about here, the need for diverse opinions and inclusion, the need that you saw with regarding Israel, the need that you're meeting with regarding Israel? Very much so. Very much so. That was really what we wanted to do. We wanted to bring together voices of different narratives in Israel and to allow people to do something which we Israelis are sometimes difficult at, which is quietly and calmly speaking to each other's opinions. You know, it's hard for right. us. You know, we, we're, you know, I tell people all the time, remember, Israel is the Middle East. And in the Middle East, we don't, you know, uh, we have a reputation for yelling and screaming and pushing and shoving. And we see that in our dialogue and our deliberation. So regarding Israel was really about developing a, a, a program, developing programs for people that really wanted to look at critical moments with a positive eye. You know, we love, we love Israel more than life and we're critical of Israel. You know, we're critical of some of the stuff that we do and we wish we could do better. And uh, that's, what, uh, that's what the story is all about. And I think that is much of the Jewish experience. And, you know, Judaism asks you to challenge everything, to question everything. So it's really not out of the ordinary that, that you're doing that with regarding Israel. 
and that there just are places that challenge what is going on there. Very true. For young people, birthright was kind of their first Jewish and Zionist or Israeli experience. And now birthright is not really going to be happening in the foreseeable future. Um, what ways do you think Jews can connect to Israel in a powerful way right now? Well, wow. there's a good question. Um, it, look, it's, <laughs> it's a major, major challenge which we need to wrestle with every day. Um, because in, in lack of the Israel experience, which has become so much a part of American young people, Jewish lives, you know, everybody goes on birthright. They all wait. If it's not birthright, they go on Maccabee Task Force. And if not Maccabee Task Force, they go with, you know, APAC or with J Street. I last year did groups with J Street and I did groups with APAC. You know, everybody, there's so many different ways people can come. And with that now frozen, temporarily, we hope, you know, the question comes up is what is it that we can do to engage with people and keep them interested? My perspective was, and I'm a little bit of a, you know, a little bit progressive in my in my approach when it comes to this, but my impression was, was that we should be establishing learning university type classrooms, which would bring people together from various parts of the world. For example, look at the fantastic piece that Israel made a short month ago with the Emirates, which is now like the most popular place for Israelis. And the whole issue of the Abrahamic Accords, the Abraham Accords with the, imagine now that there's opportunity for American young people to engage with Israeli young people, perhaps Israeli-Palestinian young people, and even Palestinians perhaps from the West Bank and Arabs from the United Arab Emirates to have a discussion about multiculturalism in the Middle East. You know, the Middle East is the story of Muslims and Jews and Christians. And um, when peace comes, which, which I believe will be in not just your lifetime, but perhaps in my lifetime, when peace comes, it opens up amazing opportunities for clear quality tourism in the Middle East. You know, the perfume route is not something which was created in the past hundred years. The perfume route brought perfume and incense from the Far East to the Western world via Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, uh, Israel, uh, to the shores of Gaza, and then to Western Europe. That route is not just moving a perfume from one place to another, but that route is all about cultural endeavor and engagement. And there's a wonderful opportunity, I think, I hope, I pray that there's a great opportunity that with making peace with the, and also I think making peace with the Emirates also brings about great opportunity for making peace with the most difficult enemy we have, the Palestinians. And there's a great opportunity now to perhaps use Emirate innovation and entrepreneurship to help develop the Palestinian narrative in a more positive way than it's been in the recent years. Yeah, and I think a lot of Arab countries are starting to realize that Israel is not going away and we're here to stay. And so the best thing is just, you know, to make peace. And I think it's so great that um, Israel has made peace with a few Arab countries over um, this past month. It is such a step forward. Um, and we've been waiting to see this for so long. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's really amazing. It's an unbelievable. Gives us hope exciting, encouraging moment, which we've been waiting for for a long time. You know, I, I know that it doesn't get me a lot of points with my liberal thinking or progressive background, but look, this is a great thing. And, you know, although I am not probably your biggest Netanyahu supporter, and if I was living in America, perhaps I wouldn't be the biggest Trump supporter, but I certainly uh, salute them for uh, having brought about this peace. And, I, uh, and, I, and that's what leaders are supposed to do. And thank them, right. I thank them for having done a positive thing. Yeah, no, it's so great. 
hopefully once the pandemic dies down and people are able to travel back to Israel, if a college student or a young professional were moving there for good, like you did at 15, what would be your advice to them? That's a great, I, I actually, uh, that's a fantastic question. Um, look, my, fir my first piece of advice is to come to Israel with open mind, remembering that Israel is not Philadelphia, and it's not Boston, and it's not San Francisco. You know, Israel is Israel. It's the Middle East. 40 or 45 percent of our citizens did not grow up in democracies. And, you know, whether they grew up in the Soviet Union or they grew up in Arab countries or they grew up in Morocco or Tunisia or Algeria, which were not big democracies when they came to Israel, presents lots of challenges, you know, as, a, as opposed to America, where democracy is kind of in mother's milk. You know, here it's really something which came about later in life. And I think that that's a, a big challenge, remembering that, that, remembering that when you come to Israel, also being open to being open to to differences of different ways of looking at politics. The Israeli political system is perhaps not as complicated as the American electoral system, but it's certainly a complicated system. You know, in the last election, there were 30 parties that ran uh, for election in Israel, and some of them are obscure and strange, and some of them are obscurer and stranger. Uh, and it's important to understand that that's where people come, and you have to be able to buy into that and understand what it means and to get involved. Um, but I think the, big, the best piece of news is to say to people, this is great. You know, you're coming to Israel, you're going to be in center stage of Jewish peoplehood, on the center stage of Jewish peoplehood, and to take part in, uh, in, in this amazing endeavor called, uh, called Israel Today. I'm thrilled every time I meet with young people who make the Aliyah, who make that step, or even if you come for a year, you know, there's so much you can learn. I came, my intention was to come for a year when I was 15, and that was 50 years ago, I'm still here. But, uh, but that's not necessarily, you know, it's not the only way to see things. It's okay to come to Israel to trial and to see how things work out. I think the important response, though, to your question is it's to develop a relationship which is based on, on realities and understanding and listening and expressing, you know, Israel diaspora relations, creating a dialogue where American Jewish people are invited to take part in the dialogue here and where Israelis are invited to take part in the, di in the, in the dialogue there you know, developing that relationship and enhancing what Jewish peoplehood really is, which is the sometimes united, often not united voice of Jewish people around the world. Right. Coming to Israel for the first time can be such an enlightening experience and really just an eye-opening experience. Is there a core value that guides your life that you would like to impart on the people that have come on your trips? and experienced Israel with you? Core values. I guess it's it's about inviting people to in to share a uh, respect for, a commitment to, an understanding of, and a deliberation about the challenges that face us today. You know, I, again, you know, respect other opinions, being willing to listen, being committed at the same time, being open to deliberate and consider you know, I, for the longest time, I thought I was right about everything. And today I'm more questioning and maybe a lot, maybe there were, I made some mistakes, you know, and, and Israel's made some mistakes. And there's a wonderful opportunity in Israel today to, to grapple with that and to wrestle with it. And I think the values there are values of, um, the core values really are respect and commitment and understanding and deliberation, dialogue. It's interesting because I've, through this podcast, I've also interviewed people who instrumental in creating a conversation between Israelis and Arabs. And they all kind of say the same thing that you need to be able to listen and have an open mind and not 
like your your little bubble of a world is not the only thing that is out there (laughs) and or what you've been saying has just really rang true and I don't think it is I think these are values that everyone should hold and take with them so this doesn't just apply to Israel and these and the Arab Israeli conflict or the Palestinian Israeli conflict but just in life and with people that you come across every day that's a great point by the way I would just say about that I have a uh a young shlicha who I work with in in the American, she's at Johns Hopkins, her name is Lior. And she, um, I was talking to her about the same topics that we're talking about here. And she then quoted her, I quote her all the time. She said she's 22 or 23. And she said, um, she said a fantastic sentence. She said, Israel is not just a conflict. It's also a country. When When we talk about Israel, we tend to get stuck in that place where everything is about the Arab-Israeli conflict. Everything is not about the Israeli-Arab conflict. It's about medicine, it's about success, it's about study, it's about building a country, it's about building peace, it's about relationship building, it's about universities, it's about young people, it's about the Israel Defense Forces, it's about women. And sometimes we tend to think, you know, if you look up some, some organizations come out with, I'm looking at one now, Israel's story in maps. If you ever look at an Israel story, well, maps is my favorite topic. And if you look at Israel's, it's what I do all the time. I deal with maps all the time. So Israel's story in maps is often a picture of the various wars that Israel has fought in the past 70 years. And I say that, you know, there's a lot of other stories that have taken place here. The map about borders is one aspect. There are lots of other aspects which are important. There's building a country in the desert. There's, you know, water purification. There's uh, rights, uh, civil rights, and human rights, and women's rights, and gay rights, and there's a thousand and five other important things that go on in the Israeli narratives that sometimes we uh, forget to talk about, and it becomes all about the conflict. So Israel's not just a, co- a conflict, it's also a country. Yeah, I've definitely heard the perspective that, you know, is, well, Israel and slash like Jews are kind of in this narrative that we're like a dying nation, and that, I mean, which is, which has been true in the past, you know, that <clears throat> we've been exterminated and, you know, all the things. And, but that really, partly I think that narr- that narrative needs to change because we have a country now and it is thriving and people are coming every year to come live there. And so it is definitely more than a conflict there's a lot of things that Israel has to deal with that a lot of countries really don't just because of where they are in the world they're in the desert and also just because of the religious component of Israel so I hear you (laughs) great 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 it's a good thing yeah so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your story for career up now's socially distanced close-up podcast And I really look forward to keeping in touch and I wish you the best. Sophia, please do stay in touch. It's great meeting you. Great talking to you. I loved your interview. Peace and success.